My name is Betty Smith, and I have been at Lake Avenue for 33 years. I've worked in the ushers ministry since the 19, mid-1980s, and I've served in the community outreach ministry since its inception in 1999. Our scripture reading today is from John 3, 1 through 10. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah got up, obeyed the word of the Lord, and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a large city belonging to God. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off, all, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let peeping animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did, and how they turned from their evil ways. He relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Betty, for being here all three services, and you did so well. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. With those words, the second half of the book of Jonah begins. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Now, I've just got to ask you, have you ever seen those words before anywhere? Uh, or did you listen two weeks ago? Or were you here? With the exact same words, the first half of the book of Jonah began. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. But here's the thing I've thought about. Sometimes we can hear the very same words again. But have you ever noticed that when different things happen in our lives, 
And then those words come back again to us. It's almost as if they speak to us in a completely different way because we're in a different situation in our lives. And that was certainly true for Jonah because between that first time, Jonah 1.1, that he heard the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and this third time, and second time in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, I'll tell you a lot of things had happened in Jonah's life. He tried to run away from God through that ship. God was with him. God punished him for his rebellion, threw him into the belly of a fish. And then he had been rescued by the same God because of God's mercy to him. And now when we meet him here in Jonah chapter 3, he has been vomited out. I'm sorry, I have to use the word vomited out by the fish onto the shore of the ocean. I'm just telling you, it was a different day in Jonah 3.1 when God's word says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And you know what Jonah is going to do, and what God is going to do is give Jonah a second chance to actually live differently. And in doing so, he was going to offer a whole city of people a second chance to live differently, even though Jonah didn't really want that to happen. And I wonder this morning as we start, has the Lord been speaking to you at all? Is there anything that you are wondering, is this the Lord's saying to me that I should do something. So I have a question for you today. What is there that you sense God is calling you to do or to cease doing? I mean, it could be so many things. It could be somebody that you know you should go and speak to that person. It could be a broken relationship that you know you're supposed to take the first step. It could be today that as Lisa Summers was speaking, you know that your life hasn't really been counting. Maybe you should go and speak with one of these community partners. Uh, what I want you to do uh, is if you'll take out a sheet of paper, if you still know how to write because we don't do that very often, or if you have your phone or your pad in front of you and take out the, menu, or, or the uh, memo section, will you take it out, will you write down what it is that you sense God might be saying to you these days? What is there that you sense God is calling you to do or to cease doing? Write that down right now. I'm going to come back to that question later. Uh, now, we're going to come back to Jonah chapter 3 because I want us all to look at this second chance that God gave to him one day from the one who the, that many people call him the God of the second chance. What I've been asking myself is, what... Jonah take that second time that made it so different, that made it so that really a miracle happened in the city of Nineveh. And there are three phrases that I want you to get hold of. Uh, get up, enter in, and carry through. Get up. Get up at the call of God. Look at verse 1 into verse 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Arise. Now, if you have a Bible in front of you, I, I'm well aware of the fact that many of our English versions don't have either in verse 1 or in verse 2 that word arise or get up. But will you believe me that it's there? You, you know that this wasn't written in English, don't you? It, it was written in Hebrew, and the Hebrew word is kum. It, it is a command to him to get up. And it, it, it's a phrase that, well, we would recognize it in our day when a person is sleeping and it's time to get up. You say, wake up. It's time, it's time to begin living here. Uh, parents, it's when your children have been lazy and you say, get up. Get out of that comfort zone. There's some things we've got to get done. And that's what God does here. Jonah 
get up. Now, you know that in chapter one, it started the same way. Jonah, get up. And he did get up, out of bed probably. But then he ran from God. And, and, and in Jonah 1 and 2, in that first half, this language of going up or down is a very important part of this Jewish storyteller. And uh, what we have Jonah doing is getting up and then just going down, down, down. He went down to Jonah, uh, to Joppa, instead of to Nineveh. He went down into the bottom of the ship. He went down into the belly of the fish. And in the book of Jonah, when he went down, he went away from God and from any sense of meaning and purpose in his life, into a deep depression, into thoughts of suicide. And he wondered whether his life mattered at all. And if you were here last week, you remember that Pastor Jeff pointed out that when he was in the deepest, darkest point of his life, right inside the belly of a fish, I'm trying to imagine being there, could even move in that place, <laughs> thinking surely he's going to die and there's no hope and he's rebelled against God anyway, that in his distress he finally cries out to God. And you know what God does? Out of his mercy, he rescues him. He rescues him. And so, after that happens, you can tell it's, a, it's in a very different place. When after that fish had spit him out, vomited him out, out onto the shore, it was in a different place in Jonah's life when the message of God's word comes to him a second time. This time he gets up again, but this time he doesn't go down anymore. He goes, turns his face toward God, and miracles happen. So I have another question for you today. What do you think made the difference between Jonah's response to God's first call and his response to God's second call? Now, I've got to tell you this. I see a few folks I don't know. I love our church. You know that, right? And we have people here from all over the world. It's just Southern California. It's kind of a United Nations community, right? So we have a lot of people in our church who have come out of nations or, or locations where Christians are being heavily persecuted. You know that's still happening in our world. And, and, and two weeks ago when I preached about Jonah 1 and, and I talked about Jonah running away from this call of God to go to these brutal people because the Ninevites were brutal and violent people. That's what they were known for. And history underscores that that was indeed true of them. That, that many of the people who have come out of settings uh, where Christians are persecuted simply for being Christians said to me, uh, Pastor Greg, are you aware of the fact of how hard it is to go back right into those places and to the very people who persecute you. And I, needed, I needed to hear that, so I can't be too hard on Jonah because it is really difficult. And you need to know that uh, even in our own day, some of the places of the world where Christians are being terribly persecuted, one of them is the very place where Nineveh was located. Nineveh was located in Assyria. It's what's now Iraq. And it's places where groups like the Taliban have done just awful and violent things to followers of Jesus simply because they are followers of Jesus. So what, what many are experiencing in our day, that was also happening back in Jonah's day. So I really do empathize with him. It's with that in mind, though, that we come back again, that the first time God broke into his life and told him to do something, he said no, and he ran. And the second time... Somehow he found the courage to go and do that difficult thing and to go into Nineveh and del deliver God's message. So again, my question is, 
what made the difference between the first call of God and the second? So I've been reading a lot of the commentaries, and some people say that they're quite sure it's because Jonah <laughs> did it because he didn't want to be thrown into the belly of a fish again. <laughs> I'm, really, I'm quite sure that has to be a part of it, right? I mean, once you've experienced that again, you said, oh, man, if I don't obey God, I might end up there again. You might say, well, fear alone would keep me from doing that. And I, so I'm sure that that's a part of it. But I'll tell you, when I read the rest of the Bible and when I even look at my own life, I'm sure that's not all of it. And do you know why? Because fear isn't a very lasting motivation for anybody. And one of the things that's so different about following Jesus from most other religions is most other religions try to motivate people to do things by fear. If you don't do it, you won't earn your way into utopia or into nirvana or into heaven. You'll see people in the street corners, they're there because of fear. In, in the Bible, even though I know that sometimes God can use fear as a motivation, the main motivation really is gratitude for the mercy of God. You see it over and over again. Those who are most ready to do anything God would call them to do are those who are deeply moved by the mercy and grace of God. The ones who are forgiven much, Jesus would say, they, they love much. They'll do whatever. Romans that we've gone through for many, many weeks goes through this section of God's mercy and grace toward us shown in the blood of Jesus while you and I were sinners. Christ was willing to die for us. And then when you get to the part where it tells us how to live, Romans chapter 12, it says, in view of God's mercy, brothers and sisters. We're all recipients of it, right? God's cleansing is forgiveness. We haven't deserved it. We haven't earned it. In view of his mercy, then we're ready to offer our bodies as living sacrifices that will please him. We're all ready to offer our minds. And so I have this uh, point that I want to make. I believe that the main thing that changed Jonah was that he had personally experienced God's rescue from a mess that he'd gotten himself into. He, he'd caused this himself. But then he also knew that God had dealt with him in mercy. And I've just found that gratitude is always a much more lasting, enduring motivator than is fear. Are, are you grateful for the blood of Christ on your behalf? Are you grateful for the mercy of God? Let me, let me try to explain the way I've been thinking about this. I began to ask, why would God even bother to ask somebody like Jonah to go and represent him in Nineveh that second time. I mean, he had rebelled against them, and it was more than just rebellion. It was conscious. It was stubborn. It was almost like a slap in the face of God. Now, if you asked somebody, if you were a boss and you had all authority in your company and you asked somebody to do something and that person just insulted you and rebelled against you, do you think the very next day, say, will you go and represent me, be my representative in that place again? I don't think so. I don't think so. But may I tell you that God does that over and over and over again. It's what offers me such great hope that when I turn to God and confess and return to him, he doesn't write me off. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful? God brings life out of death. He, he takes our failures, and I'll tell you, when we turn to him, he brings his greatest work, his greatest victories out of those places where we have failed. <laughs> Illustrations all through the Bible. The one that I really thought about was Peter. I thought about Peter because he failed so often in the New Testament, didn't he? 
He had this time when, in his great pride, he thought he saw Jesus walking on the water. I can walk on the water. He started, but then he lost his faith and he started sinking. And Jesus didn't let him just drown, did he? Instead, he just offered him help and, and rescue. It was just, it's such a beautiful story. Surely he learned, but he didn't. Mark chapter 8, uh, when Jesus said, you know, when I get to Jerusalem in a few days, I'm going to die. And Peter comes and says, you know, we like your message a lot. We love the miracles. But this death stuff, we don't like that very much. We don't want to get too close to you if you're going to die because, well, what might happen to us? You know that, you know that section. And he rebuked Jesus. He rebuked Jesus. You can't talk like that. And Jesus had to rebuke him back. Strong language. Get behind me, Satan. He said that to Peter. You don't even think at all like God. You think the way everybody else in this world thinks. You don't know what I can do, bring life out of death. And so this same Peter who failed so miserably is the same one that Jesus would then come to and say, and I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of God. Through you, many, many are going to come into the kingdom of God. It's an amazing. Surely Peter learned there, but you know the story too. By the time you get to the cross, Peter denies him three times. Sure time, surely three times and you're out, Right? But no, no, in John chapter 21, Jesus comes right back to that same Peter and he gives him a new commission, a new opportunity to have his life count. This is the God you and I believe in. And we see him here in Jonah. I wanted to call this the Peter principle, but somebody stole that from me long, long ago. So I'm going to call it the Jonah principle, okay? I'll put it up here for you. Those who have been humbled by failure and then been shown God's mercy are those most prepared to be used by God. Do you believe that? Sometimes I've thought it's a dangerous thing for you to have called a pastor who, you know, I was a university president, surely you can lead a church. You got a PhD, surely you're smart enough to help us here, and yet that's the most dangerous kind of person. If, if you're self-reliant, you come in your own strength, your own background, it won't be to the glory of God. It's when you come, having been humbled by the mercy of God, that great things happen. On Jonah's side, on anybody's side, I mean, he can use whatever is in any of our lives, amen? But on Jonah's side, he still had to get up and obey God. Because whenever God calls us, when the word of the Lord comes to us after we have failed, sometimes we can just be angry. We can either turn inward or we can turn outward. If you turn inward, you can turn, to, as he had been doing, toward depression, just thinking, woe is me, there's no hope for me, don't, don't even bother talking to me, I can't do it, and you'll never do anything, or so much more often toward bitterness. Why did God let that happen to me? I'm not as bad as those Ninevites. What we have to do is turn out of ourselves and say, Lord, I know that I have failed yet again. Here are my sins, will you receive me? And in our ragamuffin lives, we have him come to us and says, I've loved you. I've just been waiting for you to come back. And then when we say, I, I, I don't think there's anything about me that you can use, but I'm available. If you'll use me, I'll go. When we do that, we see the hand of God working through us. So I want to say to all of you today, don't waste your failures. If you've come to church knowing that you failed again and you say, God can't really use me, can he? You're really ready to be used by God.
But you've got to get up. You've got to get up. And then second, when he calls you, you've got to enter in. Enter into the lives of other people. Notice in verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he entered into Nineveh. Have you ever tried to imagine Jonah walking into Nineveh after being in the belly of a fish for three days? What, what do this, some scientists here, you need to help me with this. What, what does uh, uh, the stomach acids of a fish do to a person? I mean, did he have any hair left? Was, was the skin bleached out? What did he smell like when he, went, <laughs> when he went into the city of Nineveh during that day? And so it just seems he'd be a scary thing to look at walking through that place. And you've got to know that, that he was a Jewish man, and the Ninevites hated Jewish people and went the other way too. And, and that wasn't his language. That wasn't his culture. How was he even going to communicate with these people? But this was what God had called him to do. And I'll tell you, as is always the situation when God does his work, when he calls us to do it and we go, God empowered, miraculous ministry, Always happens when we actually go. I call it incar- incarnational ministry. We actually go life on life ministry and simply give witness to the truth of God and get to the mercy of God that He's real and, and there's hope for us all. You, you know, this was the way of Jesus, right? Uh, I, I love it when I see it. That Jesus, when you read through the Gospels, He always entered into the lives of the people that other people of influence never would enter into. A demonized Gentiles, he would go right into their homes. Tax collectors that everybody hated, he went right over to Zacchaeus' home. Uh, 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 lepers that nobody even wanted to let into the community, he would even touch them. Uh, I can just go on and on about this life of uh, women taken in adultery, prostitutes. He would enter in and offer them shalom and a new life and forgiveness. Uh, He he wouldn't embrace their ways of life. No, it was just the opposite. He he would say, this is the way you should live. He would offer them the opportunity to be forgiven of their pasts, call them to follow him, and offer them a new life in the future. That's what he was offering to Jonah here as well. That's who he offers to us, and he calls us into that kind of ministry. Jonah had to do what Jesus did. He had to go and enter in to the life of the Ninevites. Because for the Ninevites to even hear that there was Jehovah God, they needed somebody to tell them. It's like Paul would say in Romans chapter 10, how can people hear if no one preaches to them? Now, it was hard for Jonah to go, I'm going to say it again, I want you to know I heard that, because they were brutal and they were persecutors. So he didn't want to go, we know that. He didn't feel equipped to go. Still, after he'd experienced God's mercy-filled salvation himself, he said, yes, I'll enter in. That's where real ministry always begins. And you've heard from Lisa today, Lisa Summers today, that here at Lake Avenue Church, for us, that is the centerpiece of almost all of the ministries that take place here. Uh, I... I, um, We call us not simply to come and have worship services, but after we worship here to go out and enter into the lives of people. What kinds of people? People whose lives are ravaged by the evil and sin of our world. Uh, You know that children when they grow up don't say, you know what I want to be when I grow up? I want to live in a homeless situation with my kids being homeless. No human being wants to do that. That is a part of so much of what is happening in our world, the effects of sin in our world. We are God's people, and if we have a message and if we have resources, what we need to do is enter in. 
and simply see what God will do. Same thing is true in our many ministries to the public schools that are here. So many of the students in our public schools really want to succeed, but often their parents don't really know how to help them. Maybe they haven't finished school themselves. They need somebody to enter into their lives, work with them, and, and help them to succeed. And so many of you are doing that. It is the centerpiece of Christ-centered ministry, isn't it, that we actually enter in. Prisons. What child grows up saying, I hope I get to spend my life in prison? And yet, for so many reasons, people end up being incarcerated. They need to have someone visit and tell them about the God who is a God of a second chance, that God doesn't give up on them, nor will we. And then once they get out of prison, they need to have somebody other than their drug dealers and their gang leaders to meet them. And so we need to enter in, right? We need to enter into people's lives and say, you're not alone. We, as a church family, will walk with you. And, And with young teen moms, who wonder how on earth am I going to make that if I keep this child and haven't really had much training or help from their own mom because their own mom's mom didn't teach them much about momming either. And yet we can enter into those lives and say, you're not alone. There's a new family. See, but none of that can happen unless we get up out of our safe places and are willing to enter into the lives of people. And when we do, I'm just telling you, your own walk with God will be more real. You'll see him working in you and through you, and you will see the work of God in their lives as well. So I'm going to give you what I call the incarnational principle. Here it is. When you enter into people's lives out of obedience to God, you begin to see You begin to see the needs of our world as you've never seen them before. You see, it's it's getting that different perspective. You saw it one way, you meet people and say, oh, that's what's happening. You begin to see people with a depth that you have never seen before. And I'll tell you this, you will begin to see God working in you and through you as you have never seen it before. That's what happened to Jonah. What I pray will happen with us even today, which brings me to the third point. He got up, he entered into the city, and then carry through. Carry through. Simply do what God's shown you to do. <laughs> carry through in obedience to God's prompting. So verse 4, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city. Did you notice as Betty read, it took three days to walk through the city? I don't know if that was fast walking <laughs> or walking while he was preaching. I think it was the third, but anyway, even as he just began on that very first day, as he began preaching to the people there in Nineveh, the Spirit of God got at work and worked in the hearts of people. But he went by proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Count them, eight English words. That's what he preached. Maybe those are the only words he knew uh, in their language. It's only five words in Hebrew. And on that day, something amazing happened. One day... God besieged an evil, brutal, violent, world-class city with his army. God brought a whole city to its knees through his army of one man who'd just gotten out of a fish. It's, it's amazing. This is an amazing story, I'll have to tell you. I, when I read this again last week, it made me think of a story I've told you before, but I thought, I've got to tell you again, it's so perfect here, so I'll tell it to you a second time. It's of my son, Brandon. 
Back when we lived in Chicago, there was one church down on the south side of Chicago that we loved to go to. It was the New Life Celebration Church of God. It was mostly an African-American church. I preached there pretty often. I have, I have a picture of, of my friend, the pastor there, the senior pastor, Reverend Dr. Michael Reynolds. I'm just telling you, he can preach. Uh, so I have to bring him here someday. He's such a, and he also, you can see, was a football player and, and a big man. Well, when we would go, most of you know my son Brandon plays guitar. And he played back then, too. And so Pastor Mike found out about Brandon playing the guitar. And so when he would come, he would always ask Brandon to go up and join the music, the worship team, and play the guitar. But you've got to know something about the New Life Celebration Church of God. They're not like us. They don't have chords charts. Uh, Dwayne and Jeremy, there are no chord charts up there, no arrangements up there, uh, no music notes up there. Instead, what would happen in that church is even the, either the worship leader or often the preacher would just break out into a song. I mean, it would be any song at any time in any key. <laughs> and all the musicians had to find that key and start playing along. Well, you've got to know for my son, this was a little bit intimidating as he did that. So on one particular day, I said that we need to go down to New Life Celebration here this, this morning. We, we all love to go. My son and daughter love to go. We'd go down. So we got there. And Brandon said, could we go a little bit later today? Because, you know, I really don't, I don't feel up to playing today, so can we go a little bit later? I won't take my guitar. So we got there. We walked into church a little bit late. I've just got to tell you, we, we stood out in, the, in that church as, as we walk, walked in. We, we sat right, kind of back, right, right in this area back there. And I think I was there, and Chris was next to me, and then Brandon, then Heather. But I saw Dr. Reynolds seeing us walking into church. And the next thing I knew, one of his, and they call it armor bearers, in the African-American church, watching out for the pastor. And he was a Chicago Police Department cop who came back walking toward our row. Big, strong man. You remember this well, don't you, Chris? Came walking back toward us. And he came to our row, and then he looked over to Brandon. He said, young man, the Lord has called you into service. <laughs> and then Brandon, in a much weaker voice, said, uh, you know, we just thought this morning we would come and uh, just worship together with you. But no, he said, it is the Lord who is calling you into service. <laughs> Which Brandon wasn't ready to, to say yes. He said, but you know, I didn't bring my uh, guitar today, so I, I don't have anything that I could play. And he said to him, when the Lord calls, he also provides. <laughs> and so he, he took his big hand, he said, Young man, the Lord has called you into service. <laughs> and so I saw him up there in service. And the pastor, noticing that he wasn't playing his guitar very loud, found a way to keep having the other musicians stop playing until Brandon was playing a solo. And it, it was beautiful. I think he found the key just before the solo had to happen. But I'm telling you what happened in his own life. I mean, he realized that he was just simply doing what God called him to do and God had provided. And it was a huge blessing to us all, I think especially to, our, to his parents who were there as well. That's what happened that day. God came to Jonah and said, I'm calling you into service. He got up and went into that city of at least 120,000, maybe as much in the, in the metropolis of 600,000 people. He carried through doing what God had called him to do. And on that very first day, God began to work in the hearts of people.
You notice in verse 4, the people of Nineveh trusted God. I wonder how, how did this happen? Was it that he did look really weird coming there and so the people listened to this man deliver this message? Was it that those sailors in Jonah chapter 1 who had seen the miraculous God who had control of the winds and the waters went back into Nineveh and said, you need to know something. There is a God and you'd better listen to him if he speaks. Did that happen? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. All I know is that the people responded and that somehow from the common people, the message went all the way up to the king. Something happened there with that brutal king that you have no other record of this happening with a major leader in the ancient world ever. So that you look at verse 6, he heard the message and he left his throne and his place of power. He removed that royal robe and all the pomp it represented. He put on sackcloth, the clothing of humble contrition and surrender when someone had been beaten. And he joined the rest of this people with his face in the dust of the ground. It's a startling thing. And not only was his, were his actions startling, but he called all of his people. You see the proclamation in verses 7 to 9, a proclamation for all the people. You must repent, all of you, and your animals as well. Because this, this is going to be the whole group of people and animals in that place saying, if there is a God, he's going to see that we're not going to live the way that we used to live. And he said, you must repent of your bad behavior and your violence, and they did. It was through Jonah, but it was the power of God. And you know the story, God showed them mercy just as he showed Jonah in chapter 2. But that's next week's message, so you've got to be back again. Because this week, what I want to talk about is what does God say to you when you see a story of a person who one day finally, faithfully got up, entered in, and carried through in obedience to God. You need to know this about God. He is, by nature, a God who saves us, forgives us, and then immediately sends us out to give witness to him. The thing you need to know about God is that you, you never find any stories of God turning to someone like Jonah and saying, oh, Jonah, you've been in, in the belly of a fish for three days. You know what you need is a vacation. <laughs> he he might have felt like he needed it. I'm sure he was just wiped out. But instead he says, get up. Go, and go in my strength. If you've walked with God at all in your life, you know that if you try to say no, he will come to you as that Chicago Police Department cop came, said, I am calling you into service. He keeps coming back to you until you find that your life makes a difference in the lives of people out of simple obedience to God. So often he says to us, as I sense him saying to Jonah, get out of your comfort zone. Get out of that safe place. Don't just live a life today of the familiar stuff. What television show will we watch this evening? Get out of the sameness. Arise. Go and give witness to me and see my work through you. Again, we so often say we want to be like Jesus. But you realize this is what Jesus was like, don't you? He, he left Philippians 2, heaven itself, 
to come into this sinful world with people like us and is willing to enter into our lives. And then he turns to us and he says, as the Father sent me in that way, I am sending you to do the very same. I I just got to assure you of this today. If you have given your life to Jesus, he is calling you to serve him somewhere today in his world. So today, like that deacon called Brandon, I am calling you. The Lord is calling you into service. He he didn't create you to live today and not to have your life matter. You just have to listen for his voice and to say, I'll be willing to get up and go, Lord, but I must go in your strength and he will go with you. Uh, Jonah could have said that second time in Jonah 3.1, well, I can't do it, Lord, I look funny. They'll think I'm strange. I'm not good at their language. But God doesn't need any of that stuff. I mean, he, he can use everything he's given us, all of our education and talent he can use, but he doesn't need that, does he? He just needs you and me to be faithful. Be faithful. So I've thought about it. You may say when I preach a message like this, but pastor, what happened through Jonah can't happen through me. You, you don't know how emotionally or psychologically damaged I am. I need healing. How can I be used for somebody else's healing? And I've got to tell you this. God will even use those hard things that are a part of your life to further his work through you and in the lives of others. When you're willing to simply be faithful to him, he'll even use that to bring about some of that emotional and psychological healing in your own beings. He'll begin to help pull you out of yourself and know that your life can be useful again. You might say to me, but Pastor Greg, I'm just too depleted. You've got to know, I've tried serving at Lake Avenue Church. I got burnt out by that thing. I'm not going to do that again. And what I want to tell you is, if that's really true, then you're more ready to be used by God than you were back then. Because it's in our points of weakness that God makes his strength known. And I can imagine, you know, yesterday we had the graduation of uh, all the seminarians at Fuller Theological Seminary here. It's always an exciting event. But you may say, I'm not a seminary grad. I'm not eloquent to be able to do this. I've just got to tell you, look at that sermon that Jonah preached. (laughs) Forty days, Nineveh's going to be destroyed. He didn't even tell them that God cared for them. (laughs) He didn't tell them that the kind of God that we believe in believes in forgiveness and new beginnings. He did a lousy job. You can do a better job of preaching than he did. But God used him anyway to change a city. So I'm going to come back to that question I wrote. Here it is. My question comes to you a second time. Is there anything that God has been calling you to do or to stop doing? What is it? I am quite sure that this message is coming today because he's calling you again to do it. To get up. To enter in. And to carry through. And to see that he is there to do his work. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. 
And I can tell you, he will come to you a second time and a third time and a fourth time. Are you ready to get up and to obey him? I can tell you when you do, when you do, he will use you as he used Jonah. Your own relationship to him will become more real and more personal than it ever has been before. And you will find that you will be used in this world to the glory of God. Amen. 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 Let me lead us in prayer. Thank you, brothers and sisters. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, I pray I've been faithful to your word. I pray that this, your word, through this amazing story, might transcend the ages and come to each one in the worship center today at this service, right now. Father, on behalf of all of us, I pray on behalf of all of us, I say we are ready, Lord. We're ready to get up and enter into the lives of people that you love and simply be faithful to you. Direct us, guide us, use this your word to direct our lives. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been noticing my friend Josh has been painting. Josh wanted me to preach three or four hours, right, Josh, so that you could finish yeah, uh, the work. Nice. You don't, yeah. <laughs> Everybody else prayed against that uh, prayer, Josh. But I, I see here, I see here, Josh, that um, looks to me like a spider web is here. Tell us a little bit about what, you, what you're seeing and sure. out of this text and that led to this. Um, so I knew I was going to paint it like uh, they had asked me to do it. And I'm always honored to do that. And I went camping last weekend and I was kind of looking for inspiration. I uh, went up north to San Simeon, which is near Hearst Castle. And was, uh, I got up. I rose up, kind of like Jonah, I guess, uh, in the morning because you get up early when you're camping. And I went for a walk. And do you know how the, the morning wonder of light just touches everything? It just turns everything kind of white. Um, and it's so, it just sparkles on anything light touches in the morning. So it's so wonderful. And I remember looking in the distance and I see a, a deer staring directly at me. There was some wild turkey in the field and I'm just, there's ocean mist coming through because I'm a quarter of a mile from the ocean. And I was just enjoying the view and I remember uh, seeing some glint out of the corner of my eye and I took a few steps to the side and the light revealed the spider web to me. And I, I just realized that, you know, sometimes it just takes a couple steps to see something from a new angle that light had always been hitting. It was always there. I just had to change my perspective a little bit to see it. So that's why I chose this to paint. Yeah, and I think that's exactly what happened. That, that word came the first time and was heard one way. He was more than a few steps away <laughs> while he was on that shore. And something different was seen. I pray that will happen in all of us today. And something to the glory of God. Thank you so much, Thanks. Josh. Appreciate it.